Okay, Quinn. What up? I did. I think we were meeting two hours for now. Yeah, I did. As a you matter of fact, we I did. were meeting at eleven. Did I? Well, write? I thought it was. But I'm glad you said now because I like to get it. We're gonna get it done, and I have a, I have a big day ahead of me. What are you doing? Okay, so first I'm recording the podcast. <laughs> Please don't list the thing you're doing now. <laughs> so I already did it. I already woke up. I already brushed so my I teeth. I woke up. Am I wearing a bra? No. Did I brush my teeth? No. Nary. But is this a Zoom call? Come Indeedy on. do. Have you brushed your teeth yet today? I, it's the first thing I do every day. I do it before I have coffee. I mean, I don't like that That seems taste. crazy. I don't like that taste. I don't like that, that good night. And I'm a little, I'm very sick. Oh, we have a lot to update on. Okay, <clears throat> but wait, we're still talking about me. So oh, hold I'm so on. sorry. Oh, How I dare apologize. You? Thank you. That's what I've been getting it's... like four bloody noses a week. Oh. <gasps> Poor little Koa. Yeah, we make him rub like vitamin E oil up his nose before he goes to bed because he wakes us up in the middle of the night every night with a bloody nose. No. Uh-huh. I My parents were like, oh, there's like a humidifier on your like um, HVAC. Like there's a there's a way you could add some more humidity in the heating of your home. Um, they, yeah, it's weird. Humidifiers are so annoying um i'm like amazed because my mom doesn't they throw are. things away so she has humidifiers from like whenever they started making them the 60s and then we have humidifiers from um this very time and they're the same <laughs> which is to say very you very hard to, to clean you have to fill them up very very difficult to clean like oh, so always hard. parts of them you're like, like well that looks dirty is it bad that i'm pumping it into the room too bad i can't get to that part of it to clean it yeah they just yeah, haven't I've, made it's like printers like the fact that I, printers never got small they're always like big and weird and you're like so we can like done, send a man to the moon yeah, but printers but have phone. to weigh 50 pounds and like yeah. humidifiers can't get cleaned it doesn't make any sense it if the thing that bothered me the most when I had my own place was I was like, I don't want to keep filling this up every night. That's the bane of my existence. So I got like a tall boy uh-huh. humidifier, like a really tall one. Mm-hmm. And that would like keep it rocking for <clears throat> days. It was great. It was great. Oh, God. But yeah, there was like that once a year where you were like, I guess I got to clean this. And you were like, what have I been breathing in? <laughs> what on earth have I been breathing in? And then it's my nephew's birthday today. So I got to like party hard. And I want to show you this because this is a visual medium. I have to show you this picture of my nephews. So cute. Isn't that a great picture? They're yeah. so cute. It's They're the sweetest. It's his birthday today. What's going on in your life? Matt and I, uh, we had a really fun gig the other week where oh, we were. Oh my God, the pictures. Yeah. We were portrayed um, Barbara Streisand and Andy Warhol at a Studio 54 event. So basically they were like, we want like all these impersonators there at a VIP table behaving as though they're at Studio 54 so that people can also come up for photo ops if they want. But then there were also performers that were doing like cover band stuff and there was aerialists and there were go-go dancers and there were people with disco ball heads. It was completely over the top and amazing and very fun to be a part of. And 
we got hired to do this. I'm like, this is so great. What a great gig for us. And we're kind of rushing out of the house, you know, dealing with the sitter. And we're on the subway. And I'm like, I'm so glad I remembered to paint my toenails because the whole thing was like, I have to look great. I'm going to be in hair and makeup, but everything else is my responsibility. So Mm -hmm. I like packed. Well, they put fake nails on you, didn't they? They didn't. And I wish I had known that because I would have gotten fake nails because it's Barbara. Because it's Barbara. She has long nails. Luckily, I was like, oh, I have open-toed shoes for this. I'm going to do pedicure. So I painted like a nude color and was proud of myself for remembering. Mm -hmm. Now, we get on the train and we're on the way and I'm like feeling good. And then I was like, oh, my God. And Matt's like, what? And I was like, two things. One, I'm maybe going to start my period. I don't have anything. Two, I forgot to shave my legs. I was about to say shave your legs. That's truly... When we get off the subway at Columbus Circle, I'm like, how much time do we have? Go, go, go. And we like ran to a CVS. And I was like, you get pads and I'm going to get a razor. And we like divide and conquer and grab pads and grab a razor and buy them. And then we get to the event. And because I was telling him and Matt's like, why don't you just tell them? And I'm like, Matt, it's my responsibility to show up to these events if I'm getting paid a lot to like have the basics done. Like my legs should be shaved if I'm wearing a gown and being Barbara. Like that's insane that I didn't do that. So I was super (laughs) embarrassed. I didn't want to tell anyone. So we get there and I'm like, where's the fancy bathroom, you know, there's got to be a fancy bathroom. And luckily it was fancy. It was the kind that has floor to ceiling, you know, like you're in a very private stall. So I grab the razor and I go in the bathroom and there's like someone cleaning it. And I'm like, okay, you're going to think I'm weird, but whatever. I take one of the fancy, you know how they have like almost like fake towels at fancy bathrooms? Yes. Thick, thick paper towels. So like grab one. I made it a water one. I grab another and I pump soap onto it. I take them both and my razor into a stall and I Mm -hmm. de-pants. I put my leg above the- Wait, your fully pants are off. In a stall. Correct. No pants. You just, you had to go just to the knee. You didn't, or just- I didn't didn't know what the, the gown had a high slit. So like I had to go- all the like way mid thigh, basically. So, and I'm like extremely winter fur. So I'm above the toilet and I squeeze wet water over my leg and oh then I pad God. soap towel on it. Then I take the razor out and I start shaving <laughs> and it gets like very thick with hair quickly. And I'm Ooh. like, okay. You have to reverse. You have to reverse. You have to I go up it, and down. I dip it in the toilet. No. Shake it off. No. Quinn, Shake no. it off. Quinn, that was too much. There was no, no there was no other, there's Quinn. not an option. You have to understand. It was, I was going to have to rinse the razor every like three Quinn. seconds, like maybe 30 times a leg. Quinn. So I'm dipping it in the toilet, going back, going back. I'm using toilet water to shave my legs and I'm like shaving quickly, trying oh not to God. cut myself. And then once they're done and they're like as smooth as they're going to be, with this toilet water situation, I'm like, now I need to rinse them or pat them down. So then I take a huge wad of toilet paper, also use toilet water, no, and rub my legs down with toilet water. And I'm like, Quinn, has there ever been a low like this? I don't know the answer, but the, I like, like low of the low of that and the fact that you're playing Barbara Streisand. Like it feels so like those two in the same sentence is like is sort of like I would say to offend Barbara. I that feel I 
that is dark. Quinn, did you come home and just like jump in the shower? Like of how course, did you? Of course, of course I did. I thought about that shower all all night with my toilet legs. So I'm. Listen, so I pad them down. Quinn. I get my pants Quinn. back on. I go back into the room and they're like, here's your gown. I put on my gown. It's it's like this gold gown with a slit. And I'm like, okay, obviously it's good. I shave my legs. I take off my socks and shoes. My pedicure was like wet enough when I did socks and shoes that it now oh. looks like somebody took a waffle iron to yeah, my toenails. No, I actually know exactly that. Like they oh. looked like swamp feet where there was like strands like, of nail polish 3d you did like 3d, 3D. nude i don't yeah. know if i would do but it 3d was like nails with, with nude. nude like it looked like i had the worst toenail fungus in the world where there was just like strands of nude oh, nail polish everywhere like so disgusting and i'm like so embarrassed and i like put on my shoes i'm like no one's gonna look at your toes relax and i go into like hair and makeup they have like a great wig the makeup guy is phenomenal oh my god your makeup um, looked insane. did they give you prosthetics no, that was all shading. Can you believe they really did it? I mean, I have a good nose to work with to start for Barbara, but then they they gave like a lot of shading to they give gave the like depth. a bump for you. Yeah, they gave they did like the her bump. gorgeous nose. I mean, it was <gasps> I was really excited about it. And they're just slain. And Matt's like, hey, they bought us pizza. Do you want some pizza? So I'm like in hair and makeup, eating like a veggie pizza, trying not to smear my makeup. Trying and then to they like do the- never touch your legs the whole night. And then they do a big lip on me. And I'm like, oh, my God, I look like her. This is amazing. And then I'm like, I have to pee before we go on on for the big event. Um, and I go pee. And you know how you like gravitate toward the stall that you First you're familiar use with whatever you yeah. go to a bathroom. Did you avoid like, that stall? Um, I did. So it was like yeah, a reversal where I was like, yeah. I have too many bad memories in that. Yeah, we start room. a new. We start a new. We start. So fresh. I was like any other stall. So I go into the stall next to it. It is the same as the one I was in, but bigger and has a sink inside of it. And I'm like, wait, what? And then I look in the one next to it. It also has a sink inside it. And I realized that almost every single stall had its own sink, except. (laughs) (laughs) Except the one that I was in. Oh my God. Oh my God. So I killed myself and now I'm a ghost. <laughs> and you're talking to a ghost. Oh because God. what Quit. are the oh odds? God. What? Shut up. What are the Shut odds? Shut up. Every Fuck single one. Off. It's own sink. Oh my God. Quinn. Oh my God. So Shut up. I was just like Stop. beyond. <laughs> like I was crestfallen. I was like, how? Why? Why didn't you just look? Why didn't you just look? Like I was like crying a little and I said, like, don't cry your makeup off. You get out oh. there with your toilet legs and you do this job. Quinn. Oh my God. Oh my God. And I went out there and I picked myself up. <laughs> By your barber bootstraps. By my barber bootstraps. And holy shit, Quinn. All night. That, I, I didn't know that story had a bottom. I didn't know it went lower, and it did. It, it and did. The thing is, is that bottom surprised me. That the, <clears throat> the door, and we do, we cover a lot of true crime. That one 
got me that yeah. I didn't see it coming. I really didn't because yeah. I assume if you see a big star, you're like, I go in that one. And I am, I am, I am flummoxed. I am flabbergasted. I am verklempt. Like I am, I am yeah. all of the fuzz, fuzz. So I came out. Oh, and this was really funny. It's like Shut the night, up, Quinn. <clears throat> the night only got weirder. I didn't know what the job was. So I assumed that what the job was, was like mingling with guests and pretending to be Barbara. Babs. So yeah. I'd like done a bunch of homework on her life. I'd like pulled some quotes. I'd pulled some big broad ideas about like who she would have been during that time and what her philosophies were. <clears throat> and I was like, great. So then they're like, go ahead. And there's there were two parts of the party. There was a room that had past apps while you were waiting to get into the party. And then there was mm -hmm. the big room the party was in. And they did kind of a fun thing where they had a bunch of people dressed as 70s nerds that were like trying to get into Studio 54, like, and you they know, like couldn't. at That's the red really carpet. Yeah. And it was like, but all the celebrities would like get a free pass where it's like, oh, c come in, Miss Streisand, like that kind of thing. So. I think that the job is mingling. So I show up to that part and I just start talking to people as Barbara, like bothering strangers and like trying to start awkward conversations as Barbara Streisand. I want to hear your Barbara and voice. And I do but that that's... for like 10 minutes. And I'm like, this is going to be a really hard night because it's like a three and a half hour gig. This is a lot of work. And then Matt comes, who is dressed as Andy Warhol, and grabs me and is like, Miss Streisand, I was looking for you right this way. And he pulls me into the other room and he goes, we're just supposed to be in here. We don't have to do anything. We're just supposed to hang out in this VIP section. If people want to talk to us, they can. And you're out there like vamping. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I've just been sitting in here. It's great. And, I, and they weren't even allowed in yet. So it was like, I just got to walk around the room and take pictures. Matt and I went to the um, area that was like, you could get pictures of of yourself, like professional ones or whatever, that they'll send you the QR code for. So we like went over there and did pictures. The room looks over all of like New York's skyline. We're up oh on like God. the we're on like the fifty second floor. There's um, a sushi bar, everything you would picture, but and like a a top shelf bar. We had pizza, as I said, backstage. And all night, what would then take place is we'd be in the VIP quote section, which is in the middle of the room, like dancing and kind of creating atmosphere. Yeah. The caterers and the bartenders don't know that we are working, if that makes sense. <gasps> oh, my so, God. You hit the jackpot. Jackpot. No. Opposite. No. We're not allowed to have any food. We're not allowed to have any of the alcohol. Oh, so what's no. but what's happening is every few minutes they someone is trying to you. give you a glass of like Veuve Clicquot or someone is trying to like pass you a chocolate covered strawberry or like a caviar topped tuna tartare and you're having to be like, I'm good. I'm good. I had pizza. <laughs> like it was like hell on earth. We're like basically I was at <laughs> A past hors d'oeuvre party for three hours, and I wasn't allowed to eat any past hors d'oeuvres. It was that's tough. like truly, that's really tough. I should have like won an award, but I'm hanging yeah. out with Elton John. I'm hanging out with Liza Minnelli. I'm hanging out with Donna Summer. I'm hanging out with everybody. Cher was there. I mean, it was amazing. Cher came in at the end of the night on a horse made of disco balls. Who did it better, Cher? Who did it first, <clears throat> Cher or Beyonce? We don't know. I think probably Cher, but moving on. It was incredible. And they, some of them went up and performed. We had, um, uh, what are they called? The YMCA guys? 
Um, the Village People. The Village People performed YMCA. It was adorable. Oh I mean, Cher went up and did a few numbers. I'm Liza so Minnelli was Matt so were there good. together. That's so fun. And I loved the guy that played Elton John was so fabulous. And like I talked to him for a while and he told a really crazy story about getting hired by this really rich person. Um, <clears throat> and the person was like, I want you to come. Uh, was, he does Santa as well as Elton John. I mean, why not? Mm -hmm. And yeah, the rich person was like, the same. totally, same neighborhood for sure. <laughs> Big overlap on that Venn diagram. Huge Venn diagram. So yeah, 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 the overlap is great. He got hired to, he did Macy's Santa for like 20 years. I mean, he's an excellent oh Santa. Yeah, he's a big deal Santa. So he got hired by somebody to go to their house where they were like, oh, I'm having a holiday party. I'm very rich. Come be Santa for my little girl. Mm -hmm. um, and he's like, great. So he shows up at the party and it's all these famous people and Dolly Parton's there and she grabs his butt and she's like, with a cute little ass like that, honey, you're not Santy. And he was like, <laughs> he must dying. be the best dinner party. He must be like in a, a dinner party guest. He must be like, he goes to dinner parties and he's like, let me tell you about these crazy events that I've worked. Well, so he Incredible. said what he pictured was there'd be like an area for kids and he'd go in and be like, what does everybody want? And instead they take him to like this beautiful big room and they open the door and in the middle of the room is one little girl playing with a dollhouse in the middle of the room alone. And he's like, that's my daughter. Bye. And like leaves him alone in this room with this little girl. And it's just him okay. as Santa okay. playing okay. dolls with the little girl for like an hour and being like just chatting with her and then being like, okay, have a great Christmas. <laughs> I was like, and he goes, rich people are weird. I was Wait, like, no that makes shit. me so sad for that little girl. Right. One. Okay, there's actually a couple things I want to talk about in this moment because we're a true crime podcast and we have to go there. Leave the Macy's for the child with your kid. Yeah, you don't yeah. know this guy. You don't know this you guy. You don't know this fucking guy and you're leaving him in a room alone with your child? Yeah, so he had a weird night. And the thing is, is like, he seems like a great guy, but like, that is. He did. I mean, he said his I mean, wife, it reminds he me said of his wife was circling in the car because they couldn't do parking. And then he came down and got in the car and he's like, Dolly Parton, grab my butt. And she was like, <laughs> Of course. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I just like, it reminds me a little bit of like John Bonet. Yeah. Like, because that's a theory, a theory of John Bonet's, like, who was it? Who who murdered John Bonet was there was like a Santa who was obsessed with her. I think if anything, what the Jean Bonet story does is shed light on how many, how many inappropriate relationships she could possibly hold totally. with older men. And the answer totally. was many. <laughs> the answer, the answer was, was, many. was actually too many. Um, oh my God. That is insane. Quinn. That yeah. is it. Did, now what, what like did you do a Barbara voice? No, not really, because I don't I listened to a lot of her and she really doesn't have like a huge distinctive. She's got like a slight Brooklyn accent. So I did a little bit with that. Yeah, but... She has like a little it's like a little nasally. Wait, yeah. I have to say she just did an interview where like under I just watched because I'm a, obviously obsessed with Barbara Streisand and you Quinn. Honestly, same. Same amount same, I'm obsessed same. with you. I'm obsessed with Barbara Streisand. There was an interview where they um, like went to Barbara's home and they went under her house because she has a full shopping mall in her house. And it was so interesting. The little clip that I saw, like she has like, a, she's like, if I like something, I buy it and I buy it in everything. So this room is lavender and everything that's lavender, I buy everything lavender. And it feels like what she talked about, she was like, she grew up pretty poor. Mm-hmm. 
which by the way she has a book out that is a thousand pages about her life oh i know like because she it did... came out right before i had to do this and i was like, like i really hope i, I don't read mean it? anybody like, that read absolutely the book. not absolutely not so she like has essentially a mall where she collects all these things and i think it's because the way she said she's like i couldn't buy anything when i was a kid so i think when she reached success it was like she she now buys everything. She's a bit mm-hmm. of a hoarder, but she has the money, so she has a shopping mall underground. But in the interview, they were like, "Do you sing in the shower?" And she was like, "No. Why would I get? Why would I sing in the shower when I get paid to sing? Like she doesn't even sing at her home because she's not being paid." She's very interesting about that I stuff. Love her. That was the thing. People were like, "Oh no, what if people ask you to sing?" And I was like, "Everything I've learned about Barbara, no, she would never fucking sing. Like she, she would also never. has stage fright. She just doesn't like performing. Is like another really interesting thing about her. And well, that started. She always in- wanted to be an actor, not a singer. She only was like, I think singing's going to be my onboarding so that I can act. She's absolutely incredible. But there is in her book. I haven't read it, but I, again, I follow people that have and. In the book, she talks about doing Funny Girl, and one of the Nikki Armsteins that she played against was, like, really mean to her. And Mm -hmm. um, I think that's when her stage fright really picked up. And so this person who's, like, a person who interviews people on Broadway was like, we have this guy to blame for her stage fright. Like, she talked about having... Like, hor- like her mental health was suffering because this person treated her so poorly oh. on stage. And she realized, like, the last time she played Fanny Bryce, that this was be the last time she's ever on Broadway. Wow. And it was, like, right at the beginning of her career, you know? But she has terrible stage fright. And she's so incredible. She's so good. If you haven't seen Funny Girl, it's one of my favorite movies. It's so good. Okay, um, by the way, you're listening to Truly Darkly. Darkly. Creepy. That's Quinlan Posner. Babs Babs Posner. (laughs) That's me. And I'm Carrie. Just Carrie. just me, Ipa Mom. Um, what was I say? We have a couple of Patreons to thank. We do. Um, and I just want to remind you guys, whatever name you like subscribe under is the name we're gonna <laughs> is sing the, the song we're gonna for. Do. And Colleen, we're gonna you know do. I'm talking to you. Um that's that's a CJ. That's a Colleen, whatever it you know, is. We did find if you if you remember from a couple episodes ago, we we had someone named CJ. And in the song, we did not guess Colleen. No. I think we ended up we didn't deciding it was crazy juror. Um, yeah. So, Shapuli, this one's for you. Shapuli, 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 the girl who loves to donate. Shapuli, Shapuli, Shapuli. We don't. We love you. We don't hate. Shapuli, let's jump in the pooly with you. Let's go swimming around in all the money you gave us. That's a pretty shallow pool so far, but we hope it'll get deeper no matter where you are. Shapuli, Shapuli, we love you so we don't fully. Shapuli, we love you. Shapuli. This one goes out to just Katie. Katie. Katie, you have the most unique name because just Katie. Katie, Katie's. I don't hate that you only put in the name Katie. It's short. It's short. It's straight to the point. Just like us, we always get right to the point. Do we? Because I don't <laughs> think what we do. It's been almost a half hour and we haven't even gotten to the stories. But we love you, Katie, because we're going to spend more time on you, Katie. We love you, Katie. Katie, Katie, Katie. Katie, it's not shady that you're only Katie. We don't think you're a killer, Katie. Or maybe. <laughs> um, okay. The next one goes to Nicole S., who I have a little bit of background I can give you. <gasps> yeah, tell me. Um, I can tell you 
that she lived in <laughs> Chicago and now lives in Colorado. In Denver. Colorado. I, thought, oh. I think Boulder. Well, I, you know what? What was Nicole S? Nicole S. Do Nicole not be stressed. S. We're not have... gonna fuck your song up, Nicole S. You have a little bit of pieces of us in your heart because you're from Chicago and then you moved out west to Colorado. We're the same, but we're different, Nicole S. Quinn is looking at me like I'm so fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought you had missed like this big opportunity because you said something like you have us both in your heart. And I was waiting for fart to be the rhyme and it just never came to be. So I was like, what and a missed you opportunity. Me and, okay, so wait, let me just go How back to you. Okay. okay. Nicole S, you have us in your heart and we're not going to ask you to fart because that is frankly too tacky. And such an easy joke, Quinn. Why did you make me say that <laughs> stupid joke? Because actually I would, but I'm not thinking straight. Nicole S, do not be stressed, even though Carrie's messing up your song. You love us and we can do no wrong. Great. All right. I liked that. What I liked about that is that felt like very um, Fleetwood Mac, where like the inner workings of our relationship was through a, a song. And I think like mm-hmm. people love that. I feel like Taylor love that. Swift, it's Fleetwood sell Mac, a lot people of singles. love that. People love sure. that when mm-hmm. they hear that. Oh, people love that. Oh my God. People love that. Alana C. Alana C, you are a fantasy. We love you, Alana C. Let's get some glee. Alana, come on, come on over here. Let's get queer and dance on the and have some beer. <laughs> Nothing to fear. We're not killers here. We just talk about it every day. Just that's what we say, and you like it. That's the way. That's the way, way, way that you like it. Hey, hey. That's why you gave us money so we would keep say in it. <laughs> no. Yeah, no notes. No notes. <laughs> no notes. No notes. Um, is it my turn to start? I think I would love for you to start. Okay. So here's the deal. This. This. This is. This is this. Okay. Very I clear. watched a documentary, and you know what? It was about none other than a cult. And so now I have to tell you about a cult. It is. I watched the documentary "Escaping Twin Flames." I don't know if you've seen this. Oh my God, I haven't, but I have listened to the podcast about Twin Flames and it is bananas flambe. I can't wait to hear. It is so hard. I love I, you it. You know, the reason to think about cults that I find to be challenging is there's like, spoiler alert, no crimes were committed, but can I assure you it is true? It is dark. It is fucking creepily. Um, I got also further information from Vox, Time, Vanity Fair. So I'm going to go back to sort of like the basis of this cult. Um, and spoiler alert, it's a cult, even though the leaders, Jeff and Shalia, um, are not uh, Jeff and Shalia Ion? Um, they deny that it's a cult, which is actually like an interesting thing. Hold really? On. Why Just... would they not deny that? Of course they deny that. <gasps> I'm kidding. That was a joke. Of oh. course they're gonna deny that it's a cult. Although there are videos where he's like, "Yeah, I guess I am a cult leader." Like he. What I learned from this documentary, which was very he's good on Netflix, is just like he sucks. Yes, well said. He sucks so hard. Well and said it's and so... indisputable. And I think. Again, if I'm going to glean any lessons from a cult, which I love to do, is that, you know, 
if you dream it, you can be it. And um, the only person standing in your way is you. Because if this motherfucker could get people to follow him when he is an absolute turd burger, we can do anything. We should be, we can be millionaires. Okay. So anyway, so <clears throat> Jeff and Chilia Ion are the leaders of Twin Flame Universe. And this, they claim, is the source for all things Twin Flame. Now, what is a Twin Flame, you might ask? Well, let me tell you. It's something I am searching for. You know, mm-hmm. I am. Mm-hmm. It is the ultimate lover. The perfect compliment to you. I mean, you've already found it in Matt, haven't you? Let me just go through it. Let's see if this fits Matt. He is, there's like a spiritual component to it, like the divine. And mm. your twin flame is the other half of your soul. I don't believe in soulmates or twin flames. So I'm, I, I, well, I'll, while I really love Matt, no comment. Wow. Well, Quinn, I have actually some great news for you because there are classes at TFU, at Twin oh, Flame so Universe, where you can find your twin flame and actually they guarantee you to find your twin flame for the low low price for the low low price of thousands of dollars of 29.99 today and it comes with a free pair of leggings so it essentially they create and i think we see this often with mlms and stuff but it's essentially an mlm right it's like they tell people to take these classes and they guarantee them to find their twin flame and they're meeting people when they're most vulnerable i mean you've seen me when i'm like dating and feeling down about it or if like i'm getting ghosted you've all been a part of that story for me it's like you get very like in your head um and so people who are feeling lonely alone they're gonna sign up for these classes because they feel like it has the answer and they're going to find your twin flame and a lot of that is because you have to work on yourself, which I think like, again, these things start and there's like a kernel of truth to it and then they blow it up. Mm -hmm, Okay. mm -hmm. So it starts with a book and then you start classes and then you can become a teacher and a coach all to find your true love. Um, And there is spiritual aspects to it. It's very new agey and then it turns religious, but they're like using big ideas about God and divinity. And so the main tenant of like how you work on yourself is this thing called a mirror exercise, which I think is not something that they made up, um, but it's something that they continue quite frequently. So it's an exercise that's going to better yourself. And so what you'll do is you'll like write a sentence because you're upset. So say it's like, I'm upset at Quinn because she got to play Barbara, right? And so then I would have to rewrite this sentence that's like, I'm mad at myself because I got to play Barbara. (laughs) Like you don't, like you change the pronouns. And Mm -hmm. so essentially like anytime you're upset, you're angry at yourself. And Mm -hmm. there are clips of them, you know, sort of like modeling this exercise. And this group is really sad because again, it preys on, this thing that people want. People want to fall in love. People want a partner. And so you're going to get people who come to the group that go, I'm being rejected and he doesn't love me. And they're mm-hmm. like, you don't love you. Like they they are like, um, they're like, he's rejecting me or he doesn't love me. No, you don't love you. Um, I miss him. No, you miss you. Right. It's like everything, every feeling you have is mirrored back at you. Um, and the thing is, some backstory about Jeff and Shalia is they, Jeff is this person who, when they start to sort of like unpack who he is, where he came from, it becomes abundantly clear that this has been his plan the entire time is to run a cult, mm-hmm. <laughs> is to mm-hmm. be a guru, essentially. Like he's from jump, he's wanted to be a guru. He's, he was 
he studied business at Western Michigan University, and then he moves to Hawaii, um, and then he starts going by Ender Yathanos. And he becomes a oh lifestyle design entrepreneur. And, you know, if the it is a red flag to me if you change your name from Jeff to Ender. Agree. It is Agree. something that I go, what are you doing? And it's like that new agey thing where it's like, I found my name, my purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go back in some of his earlier tweets and he tweets something to the extent of someone said I should make a cult. Oh, my God. Like, this was something that he has been ruminating on and yearning for. Um, He's always wanted to be a spiritual leader. He wants to be a millionaire. Like, he is success, and he wants people to follow him. And it's 2012, around then, when he meets Megan, who, again, another red flag, her name that she changes to is Shalia, because Shalia sounds a little bit more spiritually minded than Megan. Again, we got red flags. It's interesting because Jeff actually returns to Jeff where Megan is going to continually be called Shalia. Yeah, Jeff so, couldn't pull off Ender. He couldn't. He he's really like, never couldn't. mind. I guess I'm and Jeff. And also, spoiler alert, he's going to think that he's the reincarnated Jesus. So, you know, I guess Jeff feels closer than Ender. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Ender's game is like a whole thing. And if you Google it, you know, whatever. Um, so him and Megan meet online and they get married quickly. Like within three months, they get married. And at the time of their union, he has a bunch of websites for spiritual healing. In one of his websites, he claims he can cure, he can heal cancer. Um, And when Shalia enters the union, the partnership, she introduces him to tarot and this concept, this idea of twin flame. And so when this concept is introduced to him, it's like he takes it and he runs with it. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, business major comes into play this becomes his brand and him and Shalia essentially become they are they consider themselves a perfect union and in this twin flame universe they are modeling you know they are the twin flame and you can achieve what they have Mm -hmm. through these programs and stuff and so they're modeling their relationship as sort of like the end-all be-all now keep in mind when you're watching these videos it is pretty wild how mean he is to her. <laughs> I don't know. Do they talk about this in the podcast? No. <laughs> I, at least so, I don't remember. It's been a while it since I listened, so but weird that's very funny. Because there'll be moments in, in these videos where um, she's like, and then he's like, can you listen to me? Can you stop interrupting? And it's like, these are all on YouTube. Oh my God. There's something we can, everybody can see. And so you realize the like, the like, I, I think like that magnetic personality, that promise of love is what's appealing to so many people. And I think people have blinders on. I think people don't see what's right in front of them Mm -hmm. because of this promise of something they really truly desire. So they have TFU. They have Twin Flame Ascension School, which is the educational part. It's Mm -hmm. basically like an MLM life coaching business. And a lot of this stuff is online. So it's not like people are going somewhere and um, having to like physically go anywhere. They can be in their home and they can take all these courses online, Mm -hmm. which again is like if anybody's feeling alone, they could just pick up their cell phone. They could pick up their, they could go home and sit on their computer for hours. It's like this cult is something that is existing totally online, which I think is an interesting thing. And it's really perverse where there's always access to it and Mm -hmm. i think like any cult there are a lot of people that join that are really well-meaning people 
And that also then creates a further community. And so you can go on Facebook and talk to people at all hours and at any time. Um, so part of the the thing about the Twin Flame universe is that Jeff, he's like an expert in Twin Flames. And mm-hmm. so he knows who your Twin Flame is. And he can essentially assign you a twin flame. So that means people would sign up for this course being like, I fell in love with a guy and I'm in love with him. And I think he's my twin flame, but he's like married and has a kid with someone else. And Jeff's like, you know what? That guy actually is your twin flame. It's crazy, but he is. So you should pursue to break it up no matter marriage. what. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think people are successful in trying to break up their marriage because people are going wild they are reaching out to these people they are following them they are doing everything to tell them that you are my twin flame and these people are like you're not you're delusional stop and keep in mind that everybody is told that they have one perfect twin flame they have Mm -hmm. one soulmate and spoiler alert what happens is, is a lot of these people like are convinced that they have this soulmate and then when it eventually doesn't work out jeff is like you know what actually that wasn't your soulmate (laughs) It's crazy. There's take actually backs. somebody else. So he does so take he, backs. He does take backs, but he wouldn't tell you that up front. So much so that like people will pursue partners so aggressively that it will lead to restraining orders. And in one case, um, one of the followers of TFU ended up in jail because she broke the restraining order because Jeff said, you know what? Restraining, or, restraining orders don't actually exist. And you can overcome it with your mind. Wow. And I'm guessing he didn't post bail. No, absolutely not. No, 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 no. And keep in mind, he's getting all of this money right now. And then also while he's vlogging, he's showing his million dollar home, the designer clothes, the Porsches he's driving, mm-hmm. like not hiding the fact that he is mm-hmm. garnering wealth from his followers, mm-hmm. from the Twin Flame universe. His universe expands to a food called, I think it's like divine, what is it called? Let me make sure. Divine dish, where he like tells people how to eat. It's like the control, he starts with this twin flame universe and then he like further just like is like, I see more business opportunities and more ways to control and coerce. Mm -hmm. So let's go for it. One of the really sad stories that they tell in the documentary is there's this young woman named Marley who's 18 years old when she joins the group and you see video of her in the group because everything is on video Mm -hmm. they have access to all of this um, footage so they're able to show Mm -hmm. a lot of it and Marley's 18 years old and she is like trying to find her twin flame you know she's like a bit lost and she is being guided by one of the members of the group um and again, in these in the documentary, it was so interesting about cults and things like that, is that in order for a cult to exist, that level of fear, that level of coercion has to be has to be agreed upon by not agreed upon, but that level of coercion and control mm-hmm. is something that is the responsibility of the community, right? Mm-hmm. And they don't think you realize it at that time. So the person who was guiding Marley actually has since left the cult and was talking about her experience of like perpetuating a lot of these rules through her own teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, that's the function of a cult, right? Like it can't just be the one leader telling everyone they need like people at every tier enforcing the rules mm-hmm. and the law of the land. So Marley is 18 and she's 19 and they tell her they're going to summon her twin flame. They do this like, 
little seance. I don't know. But the next day, they have her in a room. And Jeff is like, so I think you've met your twin flame. And she's like, I don't think I have. Like, I'm 19 at this point. And they're like, do you have your phone on you? Did someone maybe message you? And Marley in a flat, or Marley from now is like, yeah, I had recently gotten a message from a random guy in the Facebook group. And she at the time, I think even said, she's like, I didn't know this guy. He was creepy. Like, imagine just a guy reaching out to you. And then Jeff was like, you know what? That's your twin flame. This guy was 11 years older than her. He has no job, severe mental health issues, and a criminal record. And they are telling her, this is the man. This is your twin flame. You have to fight for him. You have to pursue it no matter what wow. because there's no other person in the world that is for you except this guy. Mm-hmm. At 19 years old, she is impressionable. So she starts talking to him. And later she would say she was forced to live with this guy that she doesn't want to be with. But mm-hmm. again, she's like believing the teachings. She's She thinks this is going to be it. And there's footage of her being like, you know, he says he was wrongly accused because he had his friend's drug on him and he's on house arrest. And um, Jeff is like, listen, you should look at this as a prequel to your union. So like all the red flags that this 19 year old girl is saying, like, it's a lot to handle his mental health. Like, I don't I don't know if I feel comfortable. They're like, well, you got to fight for it. That's a Mm -hmm. part of the teaching. Um, which is really sad. You know, this is a... It's just so sad how, like, easy it is for them, like, to just, to, like... It's like a game. It's like playing dolls for them. Totally. Like, they're just like, what if we just put you with you? Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, is I don't even think they were intending them to be together because he just messaged her. And it's like, by just asking her a bunch of questions... They like bullied her. It's like, you know, it's like it feels like a forced confession in a lot mm-hmm. of ways to me. Right. It's like someone's like, were you there? Were you there? And then finally, you're just like, I guess this person texted me and like, that's yeah. him. You know, it feels like it's. And it could have been using, anything. It could have been another person. And the other thing about this religion is they do believe in this like divine feminine, divine masculine energy. And it's pretty mm, antiquated. And they they have ideas about like what roles women should have, you know, where it's like you should always put out no matter what Mm -hmm. for your partners. So Mm -hmm. a lot of these women who maybe didn't want to have sexual relationships or like maybe at a time where like I don't feel like having sex, they were being coerced into having Mm -hmm. sex because that was their divine duty. That was – and even Jeff talks about with his wife, Shalia, like that she didn't want to have sex and he like got on top of her and essentially from my perspective assaulted her. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're making all this money and their operation is getting bigger. The the most they've had, I think, is upwards of like 40,000 members of this of this um, cult, which is called what it is, a cult. And so he's wanting people to work. And I think like any cult, we love a forced labor moment. You know, I think it's because he doesn't want to share his wealth. No, man. No, sir. No, no, no. So he ends up making TFU a nonprofit religious organization. So he essentially makes the Church of Union, and he says on video, so that I don't have to pay for labor. (laughs) It's like he's so blunt and obvious about it. Mm -hmm. It's wild. So at this point, they're the Church of Union. And so it's, 
this nonprofit now is an umbrella for all these for-profit businesses. And at this point, I think the religious dial gets turned up to 11. Shalia, his wife, is claiming that God spoke directly to her. And she's like, listen, God said that it wasn't written down, but that Jeff is Jesus, that he's, you know, he's Jesus. I do remember that. It's like, if you look at his face, he's got blue eyes and brown hair. And so Jeff like grows his hair long. He gets a beard. They like superimpose like white Anglo-Saxonified Jesus pictures onto like white non-Jewish Jeff. And he's like, I'm basically Jesus. And at one point in a video that is just like, to borrow a phrase from the generation below me, it is cringe-tastic. Like she's sitting there, she's like, it's crazy. I'm banging Christ. (laughs) Oh my God. It's so gross. They also claim that they are gonna have a child, their daughter, and they go through IVF so that they can make sure that it's a daughter that they're bringing into the world and that she's gonna be the princess of all creation. So, you know, that's good. And I so I think it's good her. to put pressure. Yeah. Well, they ended up having, um, I think, some complications. It was an ectopic the first time. But don't worry, in 2023, they have had their child, spoiler alert, which is terrifying. Um, so again, like here's some things that he would do just so in case we weren't clear how. And to be clear, I'm saying he, it's they. But based mm-hmm. on what I saw, it feels like he is very much in control of this and Shalia is going along with it. He obviously claimed that he was enlightened enough to tell people who their twin flame was, which was a very unique power. No one else had this power. Mm -hmm. He also would do the very cult-like thing, which was separate members from their family, right? So he would tell people that their families were abusive. He would, you know, when they would do the mirror exercise, it was like they would say a little trauma because being a kid is traumatic enough. And so he would sort of amplify that relationship so that it is bad. So a lot of the documentary on Netflix, it follows moms and siblings of people who have been in twin flames and they have essentially cut them off. Mm -hmm. They have told them they don't want anything to do with them, that they are negative for them, that they don't Mm -hmm. have a relationship with them. And these family members are just trying to get their their family members back and just reach out to them but they Mm -hmm. are like completely cut off it's very like scientology-esque where it's um they describe energy leaks it's very suppressive person and when people come out and speak out against them they've sued members of the families for defamation please don't sue me but sue netflix first okay don't don't sue truly directly creepily he would escalate control whenever he had an opportunity like i said he had a food company called divine dish he would tell people when they got married it was essentially arranged marriages where he would say your twin flames go get married he would demand when people could have children and that wives cannot and should not control husbands Mm -hmm. and like i said with any cult the cycle of abuse and control is in full effect so this is inhabiting all tiers Mm -hmm. of coaches of teachers and he would encourage people to level up again very scientology-esque right where Mm -hmm. he'd go oh if you want to go further in you should spend more money Mm -hmm. and people would feel like they could and then if they couldn't afford it they would do free labor so all the people are now working for free for this organization Mm -hmm. him and shalia would show up in like designer clothes and fancy outfits and with a huge house and luxury cars. And so at one point when these articles came out in Vanity Fair and Time and all that stuff, he advice, he was like, they keep saying I'm a cult leader and that's like not true. So what I'm going to have my my team do or my followers, I'm sorry, the people I work with, 
do is I want you to watch Seduced and The Vow, you know, Keith. And Mm -hmm. I want you to look at that and I want you to write an essay about how I am not a cult leader. So this unfortunately, yeah, this unfortunately has like the opposite effect because people talk about going through this and watching, you know, The Vow and Seduced and they go, you know what, this is interesting because it's actually... So this does feel like a cult. <laughs> it like was proving. And I actually need to leave. And it made <laughs> so a bunch of people, people realize. Leave. Oh it God. made people realize, but then he would like have these mirroring exercises where people would be on these calls for like 24 hours and he would just like wear them down. Where he, they'd be like, you're a cult. And he'd be like, he's like say it again, no, but reverse it. And they'd be like, I'm a cult. And he'd be like, yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I know you are, but what am I? Like really <laughs> totally. clever, really clever, Jeff. And like he would berate them so people would get emotional. And I think in that way, like by tearing people down, I mean, we've seen this in so many relationships, you know, abusive relationships, toxic relationships, Mm -hmm. just beating people down so they feel like they need him. So this is the part where the group is growing and he has now guaranteed if you complete these courses that you will find your twin flame. This is where it gets sticky because he's like looking at and he believes like, They say they're a safe haven for LGBTQIA+, but it gets a little sticky because they believe that like the we all are spiritual male or spiritual female and sometimes the outside doesn't. So like it's like gay relationships, quote, aren't really a thing because someone is spiritually masculine, someone is spiritually feminine. And so when he's going further into his teachings and this guarantee of finding your soulmate, your twin flame... He realizes that like he has to make good on this promise and he also realizes he has a big problem which is the majority of his followers are heterosexual women. Mm-hmm. And so he has to get a little creative. Now this is sticky. This is a sticky situation because it's very important to separate coercive control and true gender expression. Okay. But what he would say is he believed that you were either spiritually feminine or spiritually masculine. And he encouraged people to match their spiritual identity. Now, keep in mind, remember, he's pairing people up. I want to be very clear. I think the Netflix documentary does such an amazing job because they have experts on trans rights and in and they are interviewed. And it's Mm -hmm. and there is a difference, right? There is a possibility that some of the people that have transitioned might have had gender dysphoria to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, but from what we know, based on this documentary, people that were in and that were told to transition have since left and they are living as cisgendered women. Mm-hmm. So one member was told that her twin flame was another woman. And she's like, listen, I'm not gay. So she messages. So she messages her coach and is like, hey, like you say my twin flame is this other woman. I'm not comfortable with that because I am I'm a heterosexual woman. And. Their coach is set. Their coach says to deny Jeff and Shalia's word is to deny the word of God and throw away your harmonious twin flame union. So, this person is basically like, get on board or get out. And this person decides to leave the group. Her apparent twin flame is actually still in the group, which my guess is that that person now has a new twin flame. Because oh, totally, they're not going to be like no way. Yeah. Two women had entered the group and were pretty high up in the in the ranks at this point when they're talking about the spiritual male, spiritual female, or ma- spiritual masculine, spiritual feminine. And so the the 
two female couple is being told that one of them is spiritually male. And so they start urging one of the women, one of the women, God, I sound like Teresa GDJ. They start urging one of the women to, you know, start presenting more masculine, possibly changing pronouns, possibly changing names. And this got so bad that they were like resistant to it because that was not their identity. And they since mm-hmm. left. And then Jeff has since maligned them um, as being an energy leak, right? One woman came in and said that she was in love with a man who was gay, right? Mm-hmm. And so she's like, listen, that's my twin flame. And they're like, yeah, actually, it's interesting. He is your twin flame. And you are dressing too masculine. So you're taking his masculine energy, which is why he's not attracted to you and is dating another man. It's very confusing. All this is to say is the same person in the documentary who was told she had to dress more feminine to attract this gay man outside of the group who told her she was deluded. Months later, years later, however long later, they pair her with a woman, but that she's spiritually male, and they convince her to transition. They ask her to change her name, to cut her hair, to dress more masculine, and she's since left the group, and she's like, that was really uncomfortable. I didn't want to do that, mm-hmm. and I was forced to do so. So we have evidence that these they were – they were forcing people, they were coercing people to transition mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, and again, these members have since returned to living as cisgender women. There are members of there are members of TFU that have transitioned and have gone through gender uh, affirming surgery. And so it's important to know that maybe some of those people obviously did have some gender dysphoria. So we don't know. We can't totally you know, I want to respect, you know, these people that have gone through that. There was a person who was previously who had transitioned before joining the group. So as a trans woman, and when she saw what was happening and people being coerced into transitioning, she left because she's like, this is not this is not what I signed up for. And this is not right, because at the end of the day, trans rights is all about bodily autonomy and living truly as your true self and coercion is not that Mm -hmm. coercion is not the same as as having autonomy over your person and over your body right so i just want to be very clear and then at the end of that document i do want to say just to shore up this is that only one percent of trans people have expressed regret for their transition this is not a common thing this is and i think what's so frustrating about it to the trans community is this is becoming like a um they're so worried it's going to weaken their argument because there's it's so many anti-trans like, laws. Yes, exactly. And it's the same nightmares saying like you're going to turn my kid gay or something. Exactly and right. And then exactly some right. sort of proof that there are people out there that turn people trans or turn people gay. It's yeah, like, and then you can point to this group where they are coercing these people, but that is just so far from so, the truth. And so yes. it's a delicate thing to talk about. And I want to address it because it is a big part of this group. It's that, it's that coercive control. It's that high control group. What they're doing but it's like, this is not the norm. And there are people that are leaving that are saying this is wrong. And we saw it firsthand. At this point, the group denies that it's a cult. TFU denies it's a cult. They haven't done anything illegal. So they haven't even been busted for anything. But in the Netflix documentary, they talk to a an expert on cults. And it's a really incredible asset to have in this because she talks a lot about how um, how like the the tier system of control is in effect and the only way that people are going to leave this cult is if something big were to happen you know it's like when we talked about um 
Gwen Shamblin at Crime of a Lifetime. It's like mm-hmm. the only way that cult disbanded was she died in a lot of ways or like like not in a lot of ways. she died and that affected it or some some like big legal action comes and people start to get wise so the whole so what's is that, crazy is you cover this and you're like there's no end there's no like and then there's no end it's yeah. like you know it, they're just still going there's still people in it they're still but i think the hope of this netflix documentary and getting more um, eyes on this TFU and sort of like the red flags. Like just again, the fact that Jeff is like from jump, he wanted to create something like this. It's like he doesn't even believe the own shit he's mm-hmm. spewing in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, they're hoping that if anyone is curious about this, if they search Twin Flame, they're going to see all of the red flags before they even go into it. Because I think a lot of people were joining blindly and putting blinders on and just like seeing the end goal of being with their twin flame and that sounded really appealing and I think too like I said they found people when they were at the lowest of lows and they promised them that the people they were in love with were actually the person they were supposed to be with so I think Mm -hmm. it's like you know when you find someone in a place like that you're you're gonna pursue it Mm -hmm. I'm possibly I mean I hope I don't I hope I have enough friends I don't know you know, I, every time I cover cults, it's always one of those things where I, I'd i like to think this would never affect me. But every time I am so humbled that you can just be at the wrong place at the wrong time. I mean, I think we see it in coercive relationships independent of cults. I think you see people who have been through hell and back or maybe are depressed or feeling their mental health is, you know, troubling. And they might find the one person who might make them feel heard or seen and they'll get into a bad situation you know it's Mm -hmm. like I don't think I think a toxic sometimes abuse I think an abusive relationship is sort of the same energy as a cult just on a on a greater scale does that make sense Mm -hmm. yeah I think every time I'm I cover these kind of cults I'm I'm humbled at how very real people are affected and I think it's very scary it's terrifying and it it is it's all a symptom of the same problem which is people are scared of something Mm -hmm. and you capitalize on their fear by selling them something to fix it and make it better Mm -hmm. whatever that fear is and the fix is always a false fix yeah but you're the quick you're the snake you're you're the snake oil salesman that figured out a way to market it and like you made the prettiest label so you win and it's so stupid I mean, it's why people claim the MAGA folks are a cult, right? <laughs> Not an occult, but a cult. A cult. You know, they have a magnetic um, leader. And anyway, totally. I just, so I had to tell you that story of Twin well, Flames Cult. Twin Please Flames, watch this documentary. Watch it's the incredible. Documentary, listen to the podcast. It was called Twin Flames, I think. It was a really good podcast as well. Um, I'm going to tell you a story now. My story's information came from Washington Post, an article by Kyle Swenson, New York Times and ABC. Um, And this is kind of what it actually is, is a little bit of a dive into some of the Y-DNA stuff that that has been going on uh, to catch killers. You know, using the websites and figuring out the family trees. And and, um, I'd like to talk about one case in particular. I'd like to start with the character of Michael Ustry, who is living in New Orleans at the time with his wife. He is a low-budget movie maker. 
Oh, and fun. he's just done. Yeah, yeah. And he's done some some short films. He's 35. And we find Michael in December of 2014. He's at home and he gets a knock on the door and it's the Louisiana State Police. And they're like, come, come on, with by. Us. come with us. Ooh. Hop on in. And he's like, well, what the heck? Sure. What's the deal? How can I help? And they're asking these questions. And it's the kind of thing where you get the sense that he's in trouble. Yeah. But he's also like, for what? And he's so he's just answering everything, honestly, because he's like, what the heck? So he's just answering. And then they're like, and um, in 1996, did you do any travel? Which, again, that's uh, like 18 years ago. And he's like, um, I went to Disney with my parents. I went on a trip to Idaho, and they're like, really? Terrific. You're for sure under arrest. We we are, like, really interested in you at this point because we actually think you're the suspect in a cold case. Let's talk about that case. In the summer of 1996, again, this is 18 years prior to the cops showing up at Michael's door, Uh Angie Dodge has just graduated from high school and she's fighting with her mom, Carol, the way you fight with your parents when you Mm -hmm. are 18 years old. And she's like, I'm moving out. I'm going to get my own place in Idaho Falls, which is a nearby Mormon town. Mm -hmm. She gets a job there at a beauty supply store and she's been living there for about three weeks being a grown up. You know, having a job, living the dream. having a place, living the dream. Well, is it? You're paying bills, but okay. Angie's last night alive. She Ooh. visits her mom, Carol. And they, like, make it all right. You know, they, like, heal oh. whatever had happened where Carol says, I'm so glad you're not mad at me anymore. And Angie says to her, not even in a blue moon. And they oh, hug. Oh, no. Oh, no. And I'm glad, but I'm also like, oh, fuck. So now it is uh, June 13th that summer, and Angie doesn't show up to her beauty job. And her coworkers like, what the his? She didn't show up. She didn't call in. I'm going to head over. So goes to her place. Her door's unlocked. She goes in to find Angie half naked on her bedroom floor. Her throat has been cut and she's been stabbed. No. And the authorities find semen at the scene of the crime as well. Um, It looks as though she's been assaulted as well as murdered. And she is dead. (sighs) So a couple of months later, One of Angie's acquaintances or friends, a man by the name of Benjamin Hobbs, gets arrested because he was raping a woman at knife point. They're like, okay, your friend is raping someone at knife point. Let's talk to him. In doing so, they end up hearing about another friend, a 20-year-old named Christopher Tapp, who dropped out of high school and is kind of on the scene as well. Mm -hmm. And... They bring him in and they grill the shit out of him and they intimidate him and they freak him the fuck out. They're just like not letting him out. 
He's denying it, denying it, denying it. And eventually this interrogation becomes too much for him and he breaks. And he said, okay, me and a couple of friends, including Hobbs, went over to Angie's and we, I didn't assault her. I didn't kill her, but I was there when this stuff happened and I like had a hand in it essentially. Now they go to run his DNA. He doesn't match any of the DNA found at the scene of the crime. Uh, Neither does Hobbs, by the way. And later he, of course, recants the confession and is like, Right. I was under an extreme amount of pressure and I was confused about what was going on. I'm going to plead not guilty in this trial. You know, I'm not the killer. And the mom is, at the time, Carol knows very little about what has gone on. But she's like, whoever did this, I want them to have the death penalty. Like, I want them to suffer. Right. And he ends up being convicted of aiding and abetting rape and murder. He gets sentenced to life with a minimum of 30 years. Carol, meanwhile, starts to learn more after the fact. For instance, she learns about how his DNA didn't match the DNA at the crime scene. And that rubs her wrong because she's like, well, we didn't get that person. Like the person whose semen was at the scene of the crime right, isn't behind bars. So what else do I not know? She says... I literally went to the streets. I kept going back and forth, kept reading all of the documents and the different reports that I had accumulated. She is showing up at the police station. She is trying to ask for all their work so she can see it. She's investigating her own daughter's murder because she's not satisfied. And she will continue to do so for 20 years. Wow. In 2008, there's like a major turning point for her in her investigation where she ends up being able to watch a bunch of the footage of the interrogation of Christopher Tapp. Whoa. She is like, oh, my God, this guy had nothing to do with it. She's watching them do things like they say to him, you hold her down while she's being cut. And then they wait and then they'll say, you hold her down while she's being And Christopher will be like, cut. (laughs) It's like, that's the level. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. They threaten him with the death penalty. They tell him they're going to send him to the gas chamber and kill him. Like, unless he confesses. Like, basically. So you see this 20-year-old kid. And she's like, now I get what the fuck happened. This is insane. And she says he wasn't there. She says... I look at Angie's case, and for 23 years, I have been trying to put this puzzle together. The center is missing. You know, it's not like Christopher is even a piece on it. Right. So five years after that, in 2013, Carol, with his defense attorney, with Christopher Tapp's defense attorney, hire Stephen Dreisen, who is co-director at the Center on Wrongful Convictions at Northwest University. Yeah, the name sounds familiar. I feel like we've covered him before. We've mentioned him. Well, he's like a leading expert on false confessions. And he says this was strange because he's like, I got to tell you, don't usually have a victim's parent being the person that's coming to like advocate. Yeah. So... While all this is happening, they're still looking at the DNA from the crime scene. 
they put it in a database and they get 41 potential matches. One match that's really close to what they found, they are, they're like, we want to figure this out. We, we're going to get a search warrant to go through um, Ancestry.com and get the name of this person that's like a close match. And they get the name and it's Michael Ustry's dad. The guy that was in New Orleans at the top of our story yeah. that 20 years after the fact gets a knock on his yeah. door. Once they find this near match, they're like, okay, we have this near match. We have that Michael was in the correct state at that year at some point, like in Idaho. Yeah. And when we look into this, like, uh, short film, low-budget film history, we see that he in 2010 made a movie called Murderabilia, which was about the violent killing of a young girl. So they're like, oh, oh no. my God, Michael, it was you. And you made the short film like autobiographically about your experience. 100%. And then they're oh like, my God. only one problem. When we test your DNA, it's also not at all a match. <laughs> so they're like, oops. So they're like, uh, I guess you're free to go. <sighs> they're doing that while Christopher Tapp is in prison. So like, that's really interesting to think about, right? Yeah. He hasn't been in prison for a short time either. Two years after Michael is cleared, Christopher Tapp will be freed from prison after serving 20 years. Oh, my God. So it's 2017, and the Idaho Innocence Project has gotten involved, and they're like, we got to get this guy out. But they don't get him out scot-free. Like, what actually happens is that the... Tap's attorneys are like, here's our deal for the prosecutors. We want him to be released immediately, but he'll keep the aiding and abetting murder conviction on his record, but we'll drop the aiding and abetting rape and he'll walk. And he says of this deal, it sucked to have a murder conviction on me for something I did not do. But on the other side of that coin, do I come home with this or... Do I continue do I something from prison, prison yeah. and maybe I don't come home? Like, do I fight for a better thing, but maybe I stay? So he's like, oh I'm out of here. He says Carol was there holding his hand. And he says her oh, fighting Carol. for me to help getting released and helping to get something better for me is part of the reason why I'm home today. And I am greatly indebted to that woman. She has no idea. Investigators are still this looking for woman, who did this. She's like looking for justice for her daughter. And she's like, I'm sure that feeling of like, you know what? Like, this isn't right. And I need to get someone like that is wow. That's really incredible. That's really powerful. She's that's amazing. so sad. She's amazing to have any know, energy like, to, to fight like, for anyone yeah, but yourself should, after yeah, you lose she, your kid. Exactly, is remarkable. Like, truly. So they again, are looking for this DNA thing. They're like sending it to something called Parabon Nano Labs, which is a Virginia-based company um, who, who are like, okay, we're like making what a family tree would look like. And that leads them to a new suspect, Brian Lee Drips. They start to follow him around. They take a cigarette that he throws on the ground and they test it. He is now 53 years old. It's now been a fucking long time and they're using i should mention the same technique that they used t- 
to accuse Bra- uh, Michael Ustray. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's, totally. This is interesting that, like, on the one hand, it's like got the wrong guy, and now here they are doing it again, sort of. Um, but they do find out that Brian Lee Drips lived across the street from Angie Dodge at the time she was killed, and he okay. does. When they bring him in, he does ultimately confess. Confess, and he says, "I only intended to rape her." <laughs> You're like. Fuck off. Fuck right off. What a gentleman. June 2021. Oh, my God. Remember, she was killed in 96. We're at June 2021. Uh, You know, almost to the date, we're now how many years after the fact? Like 25 years after the fact. Tap was just exonerated two years prior. And now, finally, they are sentencing the man who actually did it to go to prison and the thing about this is the it's not just Andy Jodge who is the victim here Christopher Tapp is totally Totally. a victim and actually Angie's uncle said Christopher Tapp should be given the opportunity to voice his nightmare in this court he served and lost 20 years of his life because of Mr. Drips so it's this guy not only committed the crime, the horrendous crime of raping and murdering this young woman, but he also knew that somebody was sitting in prison losing their life for the for crime, crime that, that he committed. Commit. It is the amount, and I think that I would imagine her mother, Carol, I imagine that's a part of it too, is like she saw the ripple effect of this crime and this, that poor woman. I mean, really like truly a testament to just like, her strength and conviction mm-hmm. and yeah she's the hero of the story um mm-hmm. since since being exonerated he uh tap has filed a civil suit against city of idaho falls of course and, he should uh, the police department because if that's and, not a coercive fucking confession i don't know what is oh my god so ridiculous and of of the experience carol has said if i hadn't had the opportunity to hold angie in my arms that night mm-hmm. and to tell her how much i love her I don't know that I could have made it. That's what kept me determined to find out why my daughter oh. was killed. Because it's like that kept yeah. her going, that they had that the night before they they healed oh. that. Um, I can't and, imagine that like that feel I can't imagine how different it would feel. And if speaking she didn't of have the that. police and you know their misdeeds in in this, you know, garnering this false confession, I did want to note that the Idaho Falls Police Chief uh, Bryce Johnson did say at a press conference, this case could never have been solved without Carol Dodge. Wow. So, wow. That's an incredible you know, he story. He does Quinn. give her her due. Wow. Um, thank you for sharing that, Quinn. Well, dearest readers, feel free to like, subscribe, review. We love you. Thanks for listening. Did any of you play Hungry Hippos when you were younger? I just got a notice from Matt's mom that she ordered one for us, and it's getting sent here. So get ready. Did you you play Hungry Hungry Hippos? Absolutely, I did. With my cousins, for sure I did. Did you have a colored hippo you favored? I think I always got last choice, so I think I probably was always left with yellow. Racist. I think I wanted pink. Totally. Why is that racist? I'm blonde. That's (laughs) I was going to say that no matter what you said. No matter what you said, I had that teed up. Listen, I think I wanted pink, but I was relegated to yellow. But I always oh. was the pink Power Ranger. So there's that. That's Which, lucky. by the way, Power Rangers, racist. <laughs> wow, 1, we're, at it? Per- 
No, no, it is. It is. Think about. I've never seen Power Rangers, so I have okay. no. Okay. Well, I got to tell you. Comment. Okay. So the pink and the blue were two white mm-hmm. kids. Mm-hmm. A boy and a girl. Yeah. They had a black Power Ranger. What race was that Power Ranger? They had a Don't red Power Ranger. Black. Yes, they had a red Power Ranger. What was that one? What was the yellow Power Ranger? An Asian woman. Are you kidding? No. Wait, what was red? And and Native American. Are you kidding? No. Oh my god. Racist. Power Rangers. <laughs> oh fucking god. racist. Really horrible. Don't get us started on the Teletubbies. No. See you next time. Poe. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, dearest readers.